0: Welcome back to another episode of Positive Productivity. This is your host, Kim Sutton, and I'm so happy to have you here today. And I'm thrilled to introduce our guest, Jeff Schechter, also known as Shecky. Shecky, welcome. I'm so happy to have you here with us.
1: Thank you very much, Kim. I'm excited to be here.
0: Shecky is the co-founder of High Return Real Estate. And I just Need to throw it out there, Shecky, just in case the listeners hear it. But in the spirit of what we were just talking about, it is blazing hot in the Midwest right now. Shecky's in Indianapolis. I'm outside of Dayton, Ohio. It's like 90 feels like 120 just because of the humidity. So in our respective offices, we have our ACs running. And I was like, no, we are keeping them on. So listeners, if you can hear it, please don't let it bother you because... I would rather us have this awesome conversation being cool than sweating our butts off, being so uncomfortable and waiting for this conversation to end just so that we can turn the AC back on. Now that we got that out of the way, right? Like I just had to throw it out there so that if it pops back on on either one of our sides, we don't have to feel uncomfortable. But Jackie, I would love if you would give yourself a better introduction than what I just gave to you and tell listeners where you came from and what you're up to today. Also, and what's Shecky's all about? Come on, like, you got to share the goods on that, too.
1: Okay, well, God, that's such a long answer. I've been an entrepreneur most of my life. I started, you know, after dropping out of college, I was uh, network marketing, I got, got exposed to a lot of personal development, I owned a payroll processing company for a long time down in Texas, sold cars, sold advertising, did all kinds of crazy stuff. But I always, always, always had the entrepreneurial bug, did some flipping in real estate. Now, obviously, I have a real estate investing company. But I've been just a very, very scrappy guy. The answer to your question about my nickname is something that has really been going on since about like third or fourth grade. And I grew up in an extremely conservative environment. I went to private school. And in my little class, there were four Jeffs. And, you know, there's maybe 18 people and four of them are Jeff. So uh, I was a little bit chubby back then. You know, I was sort of based on those days standards. Now I would be considered skinny. But in those days, there was one kid that was calling me fat boy. And there was another kid that was calling me Shecky. And I was like, hmm, we should probably go with Shecky. Let me promote that one. Yeah. And so I just kind of kept pushing it and it sort of stuck and then all through high school and college especially that's kind of what I became known as and it just sort of stuck and you know all my good friends call me Shecky and you know it's funny like my answering outgoing voicemail on my cell phone is like hey this is Shecky just leave me a message and my mom never calls me Shecky but when she leaves me a message she hears that outgoing message and she's always being snide and she says hello Shecky how are you? This is your mother. <laughs> so, she even likes to use it too.
0: So I was waiting for you to say that she scolds you and tells you that is not what I named you.
1: No, she's fine with that. Usually when she's really upset, like most moms, she'll use my full name with middle name as well.
0: Uh-huh. Yeah. I
1: guess that's just what moms do.
0: It is. Yeah, I've actually realized that my littles, my three-year-old twins and my four-year-old, I wouldn't have dared do this to my parents when I was growing up, but they'll get upset with me and they'll use what they think is my full name. Mama (laughs) Sutton, I told you (laughs) I wanted Kool-Aid and not milk. Like, oh, hold on a second. Do you see me wearing an apron with a name badge? Because I am not waitress. I mean, that's usually what it is. Or Mama Sutton, this is not what I wanted to watch.
1: Well, they must be learning it somewhere.
0: They are. But I'd rather have yes, ma'am. I mean, growing up in the Northeast, I mean, I grew up in New York. Ma'am and sir, at least in my family, weren't something that was really taught. My husband grew up here in Ohio, and then he went into the Air Force. So calling everybody yes, sir, no, sir, yes, ma'am, that was just ingrained from him from an early age. I guess I'd prefer Mama Sutton.
1: Yeah, I mean, I spent a lot of years in Texas, and that's very common down there. And I really grew to appreciate that.
0: Yeah. I mean, I cannot cook, Shecky. I burn dinner anytime I try, just about. And I'm about as white as I could be. But when they say that, it makes me feel like Aunt Shmima. Yeah. I can't explain it. But it just, yeah.
1: For me, it, was, it didn't necessarily make me feel like any kind of ethnic group. But when people started calling me, sir, that's when I knew I was like getting old.
0: Oh, I know. (laughs) Yeah. My kids have come to the point now that they're actually pointing out new gray hairs when they come in. Like you need to stop Mm -hmm. that now because you're the one that's causing these. I mean, I'm 39 (laughs) and I never thought that every morning when I woke up, there would be another one. But there it is. Like I'm thinking back to the 90s. Whoop! there it is. Wasn't that a song? Mm-hmm. Something like that? It's like, yeah, yeah whoop, there it is. Another gray hair. I don't think that's how the song went, but that's how it is in my life right now. Mm-hmm. So you just recently, in the last couple of years, relocated from Texas to the Midwest. Can you share more about that journey? How and why that happened?
1: Yeah, it was interesting. I spent a lot of years in Austin, Texas, where I was really there because I was very connected to an amazing entrepreneurial community where I was learning and studying all the facets of digital marketing. And this happened actually after a very failed flipping business. Um, Because, you know, anybody, whether you know anything at all about real estate investing, I think we all recognize that in 2008 and 2009, the bottom of the real estate market in the United States fell out. And I was very much left holding the bag and, and not ashamed to say that I pretty much got my ass handed to me on a silver platter. And having a, had previous to that a number of successful businesses, I was in a fairly dark place there were some issues going on with family, there were some issues going on with my health, certainly obviously some huge issues going on financially. And I just needed to just start over and I was living in San Antonio and I moved 80 miles north up to Austin to get connected to this community and it was by far the best thing I ever did. And I learned a lot about digital marketing and I was working with a buddy of mine who owned a social media company and I started a consulting division for him where I was teaching a lot of business owners about digital marketing. And one of my best clients was a man up in Michigan who still has a very, very successful nutritional company and he reached out to me one day and he said, Shecky, I know you've been helping me with this nutrition stuff, but I really want to pick your brain about another business. And I was like, sure, Jack, no problem. I mean, I'm not even going to charge you. Like you're one of my best clients. You've been through a lot of our training. We've done plenty of personal one-on-one stuff. You know, you just want to get on the phone and bounce some ideas off each other. Let's do it. So we scheduled a call and we had an hour booked out. And the day of that call, that call turned into about three and a half hours. And it was one of those things where obviously we were both in the zone or maybe I had too much coffee or a little of both or whatever, but there was just some amazing things that came out of that. And he was actually buying some properties in Indianapolis from a company here that was doing a concept supposedly called Turnkey, which is like a done for you sort of solution, but they weren't doing it very well. And that said, he was getting some pretty decent returns from the rental properties that he was buying. And so that call was really a lot about how something like that that could be turned into a real business with real marketing and real services and real checklists and things that would really bring high value to the investor community. So I just gave him a bunch of ideas. I wasn't thinking anything about it, I was just providing value. And the very next day, I sent him an email with a bunch of bullet points about some of the ideas that had come out of our conversation. And about a day after that, I got an email back from him saying, "Okay, great, Shecky, let's do it. And I'm thinking to myself, let's do what?
0: Yeah, what?
1: (laughs) Yeah. So I pick up the phone and I'm like, dude, you know, like WTF, like do what? And he's like, I want you to be my partner. Like, I have a lot of respect for your business acumen. I have a ton of respect for your marketing. I mean, I know you very well by phone from all the consulting calls we've done. I want to be in business with you, and I want to leverage your expertise. So I was like, huh, wow. That wasn't really kind of came out of left field a little bit. But I was, at the time, looking for my next opportunity anyway, and that was the seeds of how it started, and that was a couple years ago. And we originally did some stuff where we were actually just – reselling some of the other stuff that this other company was doing, but it really, pardon my French, they suck so badly as far as their processes and systems that there was no way I felt confident building a business based on that lack of quality. So I did what any entrepreneur would do as I gave up my gorgeous apartment on the lake in Austin right across from downtown, which I still lament and packed up my stuff And threw it in my car and drove across country and came to Indianapolis and rented a place and just started a company up here. And we started building all of our own systems. And that was really the seeds of what has become high return real estate.
0: Were you in Lake Country in Austin?
1: No, not far. I was actually downtown Austin. So I was right across the river from downtown, right on the hike and bike trail.
0: Wow. Okay. I mean, I'm familiar with Austin a little bit. My husband's family lives down there now. So spent a little bit yes, that was Wasbin listeners. That was not a mistake. So just going through dating him and even early marriage, there were a few hot vacations spent down. <laughs> there. I mean, it's a beautiful city. I even considered yeah. going to UT for my masters in architecture. And I totally understand what happened in two thousand eight. I don't know if you know this about me, Shecky, but I was an interior architect before Ah, going into this entrepreneurial stage. And I actually moved to Ohio from outside of New York City. I was working in Greenwich designing high-end corporate spaces, but I got a job designing schools out here. And Ah. uh, schools are very impacted by the residential market because when the economy turns, the citizens don't want to pay for the tax issues that will improve the schools.
1: Yeah, they don't want to pay for
0: it. Yeah. So in 2008, I lost my job. But I realized I do not like this. Like, I don't like being a designer. And to this day, my house does not look designed, but there's a reason for that. That's because I've got so many children who will destroy furniture. I cannot wait until the day that I can paint my walls and know that a Sharpie left on the counter will not be touched. Yeah. Right? Like, it just won't happen. Just this past weekend, or maybe it was a week and a half ago, one of my daughters decided to write her name on the end of the hallway wall like we've talked about this so many times and I said to her I said Nevea, why did you write your name on the wall and she said because the paper wasn't big enough
1: <laughs> <laughs> well the good news is she wants to be expressive I don't know if where you are like here in Indy which is the Midwest well there's a lot of homes that are built I don't know pre-1950 that all have basements
0: yeah we have a basement
1: Yeah, so the best advice I could give you, and granted, this is I'm not a parent, is just say, look, kids, here's the wall where you can scribble and write your name as many freaking times as you want, and just let them go crazy on one of the basement walls.
0: Yeah, well, in our pre-chat, I shared with you that we finally just closed on this house that we've been living in for four years. Yeah. Not even, I mean, five days ago now. So now that it's actually ours, I feel comfortable painting interior walls, right? Yeah. So I'm thinking about that chalkboard paint.
1: Yeah. Put it in their bedroom.
0: Yeah. We call it the orphanage. I know that's totally not appropriate, but there's three (laughs) under age four in one bedroom. I was like, why not give them a big old black chalkboard wall in their room? Give them their sidewalk chalk. There you go. If you touch any of my other walls, I don't know what. Seriously, I don't yeah. know what. It's
1: grounds for amputation. Yeah, exactly. <laughs>
0: yeah, we'll see where that goes. But now that we got this first home buying experience underneath our belt, I think I scared my husband this weekend by saying, you know, I'd really love to pay this mortgage off way early and start investing in other houses in our neighborhood. And he's like, Well that is totally you. I don't want any part of that. I have no interest in being a property manager or dealing with tenant or any of that i was like that's fine we'll hire somebody to do it because i don't really want to do the property management either but real estate is such a good investment in my opinion i agree we all might be singing a different tune if and when the next recession comes i mean let's just be honest it's going to come we just don't know when but we can all pray that by the time that comes that we have enough paid off that we're not going to be what's the expression flipped upside down whatever
1: Yeah. Upside down or underwater. Yeah. And of course, as you can imagine, there's a million different ways to do real estate investing. And there's definitely ways to protect yourself or really not participate in any real corrections.
0: Yeah. And I can totally see that. And I'd love to hear more about that. But I think that's also the plus side of being where you and I are, as opposed to being in other more expensive areas of the U.S., where yep. the investment just isn't... I mean, we're not having to pay a million and a half for a two-bedroom. I mean, our yep. house... Listeners, you know I'm very transparent. I mean, our house is five bedrooms and it costs us 125 Fabulous. You can't get that in LA. That's why I will not listen to people who tell me constantly, Kim, you need to move to San Diego. No, I really don't. With the amount that I'm saving on my house and that I was saving on my rent, I could afford to fly. I mean, even when I couldn't. That was always my argument. I can fly.
1: Yeah, you can go there as often as you want and you know, yep. participate. I mean, there's certainly something to be said about living in that kind of weather and near the beach year-round, but there's no question it comes at a pretty steep premium.
0: Yep, and that's the awesome thing. I mean, this is our first conversation. I definitely don't think it's our last, but I don't know if you know that since being an interior architect, I have now transitioned into marketing automation and digital marketing full-time for six to seven figure, eight figure business coaches. And I yep. love it. So I'm very curious and I'll take this off the record later. I'm curious what that community was that you were working with in Austin because I know of a couple really big ones down there yep. one that I'm associated with. So uh, that's just like, ooh, yeah. But Well,
1: it's a uh, <laughs> let's just say it's a somewhat incestuous community. So I have no doubt that we probably know a lot of the same people.
0: Uh huh. Yeah, I can imagine that. What have been some of the biggest learning points that you've learned in this whole real estate investing entrepreneurial journey that you see being transferable into other entrepreneurial experiences?
1: Well, the biggest one is just understand that shit's going to break. I'm probably the world's most positive person. And I've even been accused of being somewhat Pollyanna and looking at the world through rose colored glasses And, you know, maybe that's a function of years and years of seminars and personal development and things like that, because I've been through some pretty tough times in my life. But I always sort of have this rosy way of looking at things that everything is just going to work out beautifully. And I do some sometimes get some coaching, too. I mean, you know, you and I both recognize as we go out and mentor others, it's sometimes also good to be on the other side of that equation. And, you know, on a recent call that I did, we had some pretty deep internal stuff within our organization that I really wasn't expecting. And I was like, man, I don't know how this happened. And how could I, how did I not see around this blind corner? And, you know, blah, 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 blah. And the other person on the other end of the phone is just kind of basically said, Checky, you know, like, just get over it. Like shit happens. And you can't look at the entire world as which I'm guilty of doing as everything is cause and effect like that whole argument about everything happens for a reason well not everything happens for a reason there are oftentimes that things happen for a reason and that depends on your perspective and what sort of weight you attach to that but oftentimes shit just happens and the entrepreneurs that really a recognize that and expect it and just say hey okay i know stuff's going to break and I'm going to have to fix it and take that as part of the normal part of the entrepreneurial journey and learn how to rise to those challenges and learn how to just accept that as part of the norm. Those are going to be far more successful entrepreneurs than guys like me previously who just like, oh my God, I can't believe it. What do I do? Like I don't really do that anymore. I just sort of Learn that, you know, stuff's going to break and I'm going to have to fix it. And or we're going to have to fix it as a team. And we're just going to move forward and learn from it. And that's just part of being an entrepreneur.
0: I could give you a big kiss, but my husband wouldn't like that. Like, <laughs> okay. I just went through a launch where, I mean, my client is absolutely fabulous. He's one of my mentors. And we faced one of the most amazing problems. I mean, it's not a problem that there was about eight times more traffic than anybody could have
1: predicted. Good problem. Yeah, Yeah.
0: absolutely. But the website went down or it was extremely slow (laughs) just because we weren't expecting that. And he just let it go. I mean, he didn't like it, but he's like, it's not like we can move our hosting right now, you know, because then all the pages will be down through this whole launch. So we just have to get this fixed before the next one. And what I've realized in the last six years is that the clients who do panic about little things like, and I actually just had another conversation about this, the clients who panic about the little things, like the typos in the email are the ones who are dealing with scarcity mode. And they're probably not going to grow very well because they're getting so hung up on these things that they're not looking at the bigger picture.
1: Yeah, I a hundred percent agree. And I think for you know, the next layer of that is to look at that as an entrepreneur is like, what kind of customer do you want to? So there's always going to be a certain percentage of customers that are the ones that will freak out over everything and nitpick every little last detail. And because they are so focused on that, it's very easy for them to lose sight of the value that you bring to the table. And, We've just gotten to a point now where, you know, and I'm not saying it to be an ass, you know, I mean, we're a medium sized, successful company. We're certainly very profitable. And I just don't want to work with people like that. It's just no fun. Like, it's just such a drag and so much negative energy. And it's like, ah, you know, so we're just do a better job now of just having open conversations with new investors as they come on board and, you know, obviously make sure that we're a good fit for what they're doing. But if they're just freak out mode all the time, I've told my team and people on, you know, investor relations department and sales and customer service and, you know, anybody that interfaces with the general public, here's a sentence that you are allowed to say if you really feel it's warranted. Hey, Mr. Prospect, maybe we're just not the right company for you to be working with. Like, I don't think there's anything wrong with saying that. Because there's nothing worse than trying to please somebody that is never going to be pleased. Like it just drains all your resources and nobody ever comes out happy from that.
0: Yeah. And who started a business? to you just have to deal with that constantly? Because I know I didn't. I've had those clients myself. It's like it's a lose-lose situation.
1: Oh yeah. It's just it's draining. So yeah. And they're never gonna be happy either. So it's like it doesn't matter how much money you are making it, it's never worth it. But
0: I, mean, I know that the last thing you wanna hear, especially in real estate, is termites or, you know, crack or bad foundation or anything like that. But you have to walk in with a little bit of expecting the unexpected and knowing that you're just gonna flow with it.
1: Yeah. And You know, in our model, that's really a non-issue because we insulate the investor from that stuff. doesn't mean that they're insulated from it forever, but going in, they're insulated from that stuff. That's just part of our done-for-you model. But yes, I agree. I mean, we, in fact, ask our investors to sign an affidavit that says, look, I understand you've done all this great stuff for me, and you've put me in a position where I have the highest percentage and the highest opportunity for success. However, I also understand that it's an investment, and with that investment, there is some inherent risk. And we actually make them sign that just because we all want to be, let's just all be on the same page here. I mean, we're amazing at what we do, but I can't say we're perfect.
0: So is that the stay off my back contract?
1: No, it's not, because we have a lot of things in our contracts that protect our investors as well, including giving them a full warranty on the property that we're selling them. So they have plenty of recourse with us. And we're very confident in our processes. So it's not stay off our back. It's more like, let's all be clear about what kind of relationship we're getting into.
0: Mm. Wow. Well, I know that even outside of your real estate business, you also do consulting. Can you share more about that?
1: Yeah, you say you're working in the digital marketing space and I still do some of that. That's a very small piece of what I do, but having owned a few other successful businesses, I just very rarely every once in a while and it's mostly just through personal referral, I will take on a consulting client where we will talk about it always ends up, I don't know it's hard to describe, but it ends up being this digital marketing, you know, what's your unique selling proposition? What are the things it's almost like a, that and a combination of a life coach, even though I hate that term and understanding, like, how do you get your best message, your personality and your value into the products and services that you're currently providing or about to be providing? And I, so I tend to work with entrepreneurs that do that sort of stuff. And it's very free form. But it's really, you know, let's face it, there's a lot of great people out there with great ideas, but they're not always so great at the execution, or as you know, they obviously sometimes have a hard time getting out of their own way. And so because I've done a lot of work in that regard, both on myself and in my own businesses and with other entrepreneurs, and worked on a lot of other digital marketing projects... I just bring a certain perspective to them that it, they might not otherwise have.
0: Oh, I totally understand the getting out of their own way, because in full honesty, I have trouble getting out of my own way, out of my own way. I mean, I want my clients to get out of their way, Yeah. but I still struggle with it myself. And I don't know if this I mean, do you think entrepreneurs ever truly get out of their own way?
1: No, I don't think that they ever do. And, and, you know, let's face it, I struggle with the same things, too, as an entrepreneur. I mean, you know, we've all got our own issues, we've all got our own roadblocks, we've all got our own belief systems, Mm -hmm. right? And even just going back to that basic stuff, I mean, things that are in our subconscious that we don't even see that they're there, can really get in the way. And you know, it's my father who of blessed memory used to always, and this is a term from way back, is that nobody sees their own hunchback. And I always remembered that. It's like, yeah, it's just very hard to see your own issues. And I recently had a love relationship that went bad. And I don't mind being open about this. I moved in with this woman far too quickly, but that's a whole other piece of it. But the interesting part of that experience she was really great i'm really great but there were some things about myself that i learned from living with somebody that were really really valuable even though the relationship was not worth saving uh so I'm very thankful for the opportunity that happened, because there's just some things that, you know, you end up learning about yourself just on the day to day living. And, you know, you're married, you've got kids, you've got pets, you've got, you know, all kinds of stuff on your plate. And whether it's uh, under the auspices of marriage and kids, or even just living with somebody, there's a lot of your shit that ends up coming back in your face when you're sharing your life with someone.
0: Oh, heck yes. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. And I was married before this marriage. So I can totally relate. I mean, I'm, we should not have gotten married. Just put it out there. We probably shouldn't have dated. We were high school sweethearts. But there was a lot I learned about myself. Yeah. And actually, when you were telling your whole story, like people have accused me, including my ex, of looking at the world w- through rose colored glasses we used to have some of our biggest fights because I would tell them, you're making a mountain out of a molehill. Like, Mm -hmm. is me burning dinner really the end of the world? (laughs) Yeah. Again. (laughs) Like, I just got to be totally honest there. It happened quite regularly. It still does. But the fact that our bed wasn't made this morning, is that really the end of the world? And my husband now is amazing. He's been married twice before. We've all seen the good, the bad, and the ugly. But it's, what are we going to focus on today? And maybe we focus on the good, but we also focus on the bad. But we're focusing on the bad just to make it, I'm being so grammarly incorrect. That's probably even incorrect in its own way. But we need to make the bad gooder. Okay, I borrowed that from my kids.
1: Yeah, no, I I get it. And, you know, there's definitely value in bringing the crap out into the light. Because it's not until you see it and shed light on it that you can actually address it.
0: Absolutely. You'll be amused by this, I'm sure. The fire happened on Memorial Day, and our appraisal was scheduled for the next day. And we had been renting this house for four years, and there were multiple, like just multiple setbacks. So I called the owner, the landlord, and I said, you are not going to believe this. And she's like, you have got to be kidding me. She's like, only... This only you like so seriously, only us would this happen to that the day before the appraisal is when this fire would happen and then the termite inspection, too. But I have to tell you, it was actually a blessing in, in disguise How so? because the wind this past winter had actually blown over two or three fence panels and. My husband had been delaying moving those fence panels out of the way. And we were told by the mortgage agent, you need to make those disappear. And he yeah. had to work Memorial Day. So I told him I was going to take the saw out to the backyard and cut them down, like cut them apart and put them in the trash. And he's like, no, please don't. And all of a sudden, fire. And there they go. Don't have to worry about those anymore.
1: <laughs> Just burn right up. It's perfect. Uh-huh.
0: Yep. Exactly. So, I mean, even relating back to what you just said, sometimes everything does happen for a reason. He's like, look, you got to trust. I was like, sometimes it's really hard for me to trust. I mean, we can't count on a fire happening every time we need it to. Just the same as we can't count on rain whenever we want it to or want it to. But we have to have more trust and more faith that somewhere, even in the darkest times, there will be the light that comes through. I mean, even after I got fired... It was partially fired. It was partially laid off from my interior architecture job. I had already started my first business and I was doing everything wrong. So when I ended up closing the doors on that in 2010, I was almost a hundred thousand in debt because of bad decisions. I can't say it any better than that.
1: Yeah, I get it.
0: But over the past six years, I mean, listeners, if you're dealing with debt collectors right now, I feel you. I've been there, but we ended up calling them our fan club. I mean, it's all about how you look at it. They're our fan club. They want something from us. We just, there's only so much that you can do on a certain day. And sometimes that day, you just can't pay that bill. Come on. Sometimes just that decade, you can't pay that bill. So it's all about how you look at it.
1: Oh, yeah. I've been there too. I mean, I, I told you I was, you know, in a flipping business in 08 and 09 and yeah, was left holding quite a few properties when. The market fell out and was doing some really stupid stuff back then, stuff I would never do now, but all those were held in my name personally, Mm. and I was on the hook personally for that, not titled in a business name, and yeah, long story, but anyway, I learned a lot from that the hard way, but also I have a lot of experience from that period in my life dealing with debt collectors.
0: Yep. I have a client who had a whole bunch of real estate in Chicago. That was in a business name and he went bankrupt. And then he found out that one of the properties was actually not involved in the bankruptcy. And he consulted his real estate attorney who told him he could sell it. But as it turned out, as soon as he sold it, it was connected somewhere. The attorney just hadn't done his due diligence and was more interested in the money that he would make off the sale of that property. Mm -hmm. And all of a sudden, all those other properties that had not been tied to him became tied to him. And bang, like multi-million dollar judgment because he sold one property for barely anything. Yeah. So things happen, but I mean, he's yep. not worried about it because he knows that, you know, everything will work out. And I got to tell you, I know that. I mean, I already told you this once listeners, I'll tell you again, it will all work out. I mean, just a couple of years ago, We were having trouble paying bills. There was a day, if if this is your first episode, you haven't heard this before. If this is not your first episode, I apologize. You know I share stories more than once. But our water was shut off, and it snowed outside. I don't know what it's like in Indianapolis in the winter, but it doesn't snow much in Dayton in the winter. Like When it does, it shuts down the city. But it's very rare that we get anything significant. Is it how it is in India as well?
1: It's hard to tell. I've only had two winters here and the first one was kind of mild Mm -hmm. and a lot of wind and whatever and then this last year was just so ridiculously bitter cold and ice and snow and it reminded me of my youth in Minnesota it was like are you kidding me like this is what I came to from Texas yeah yeah so it's hard to give you a consistent answer to that I think you know India is right kind of at the southern part of the Midwest like we're only two hours north of Louisville which is basically the farthest north point of the south right so you know but yeah we're only three hours from chicago so we're in this weird spot where anything can happen
0: including tornadoes it's just so strange Oh yeah yeah, yeah. no i totally feel you i grew up in rochester rochester new york not rochester isn't yep. there a rochester minnesota too yeah yeah but rochester new york where it would take feet of snow to shut us down i mean literally the power would have to be out Before school would be canceled. But here, you get an eighth of an inch of anything, and you're down. Like, the kids are at home, and parents are left scrambling. But you don't want to be on the roads anyway, because people don't know how to drive in that. But anyway, the water was shut off, and my husband told my older two boys, you can go pee in the backyard, but bring some snow in and put it in the toilet for mom. And the (laughs) water was back on within a day. But we've dealt with it all, but it's only because, you know, we didn't go curl up in our bed and cover our heads with our blankets like we kept on pushing forward. That's how we get out of those dark moments. Yeah. Yeah. I can't remember if I already asked you because I've just been so excited about this whole conversation, but what are you most excited about in the next 90 days?
1: Oh, no, you did not ask me and I'm glad you asked now because we're right at a crossroads in our business and we've just put in some software that really dials in our systems and this previous little event that i alluded to is you know we're kind of moving past some of that and it was financially not so great for us but the next 90 days for us is just growth and scaling up and getting a new office and you know integrating some teams that have been working remotely and it's just it's so exciting because just the whole complexion of our business is changing in such a positive and profound and profitable way. So I'm just jazzed about it because, you know, I own 50% of the company, and, you know, and I'm CEO, and I'm the guy that's driving most of it. So it's very, very exciting.
0: So are you still partners with the person up in Michigan?
1: Yeah, Jack. Yeah. And
0: has Jack moved down to Indianapolis too?
1: No, Jack still got his nutrition company, and that's doing very well. He only lives... Three hours away, so it's an easy drive for him to come down to Indy. But he's got a you know big fancy house and wife and two boys in grade school. I mean, he's not moving anywhere, and he's a pillar of his local community, just super great guy. But obviously, we do a lot of stuff by phone and text message and Zoom online and things like that. And he's probably in town like once a month or so. He'll drive down and we'll you know, meet in person and look at properties and meet with the team and that sort of stuff. So it's worked out very, very well. It's not been a problem.
0: What would you say have been a couple of the pillars that have made your partnership successful?
1: Great question, especially coming from other failed partnerships. Number one is that we have this amazing ability to just communicate everything and get it all out on the table. And we do it in such a way that we're not really judging each other. That's number one. Number two, obviously, we have a a ton of trust for each other. And that's been earned over the years, obviously. It didn't just happen the first day. But we also don't have the exact same strengths and weaknesses. And we tend to help bolster each other's strengths. So like a good example of that is Jack is you know, great as far as sales and relationships. And, you know, you've heard that sort of expression within entrepreneurial circles, like ready, fire, aim. And oh yeah, his mantra and the way that he operates is more like fire. Oh, I guess we can be ready to aim afterwards. And <laughs> so he's just like, let's just go, let's just do it. And I tend to be You know, more of a systems guy. I'm like, but, 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 you know, like, what about this? What about that? We got to have this in order. We got to have that in order. Like, this is going to blow up if we don't do this, blah, blah, blah. So when we mix those two philosophies together, it's amazingly great. And he drags me through stuff that I'm not ready to be dragged through. And I systemize him through stuff that he's not ready to be systemized through. And it just works beautifully.
0: Sounds like quite an interesting recipe. That's the only way that I can say it right now. Yeah. That's just how it came out of my mouth. Yeah. Mm -hmm. When my husband and I got married, part of my marriage vows was that I would work on reducing clutter. (laughs) And because I come from a family where mom and dad both collected either magazines or newspapers and papers and just all over. Like, they're not hoarders by any means, but that was, they both had their collections. And so did I. I had stacks of paperwork. And I committed to reducing that. Now, I have to say, we weren't expecting to have three more kids. I mean, when we got together, started dating, he said he didn't ever want to get remarried and he didn't want any more kids. Listeners, he's the one that instigated (laughs) the wedding and the kids. I just have to put that out there. Wow. But, I mean, my desk is a mess right now. Not totally my fault. It's been crazy busy and that's the last thing I want to do at 1130 at night is organize my desk. I know I should, but I just don't. But he collects stuff now. We were just actually talking about it last night. He's a video game developer. I signed him up for Loot Crate at one point, which if you're not familiar, is like they send a monthly box with gaming stuff inside. He hasn't been a member for years, but I just found like 20 different boxes in the closet. Like, really? <laughs> but it doesn't bother him anymore. And we just had to work together. I mean, it's an amazing recipe, but we had to figure out each other's strengths and weaknesses and work together. So thank you for sharing. Yeah. Where can listeners find you online, connect, and get to know more
1: about what you do? Well, we've tried to make things very simple. So our company is called High Return Real Estate. And if you just go to highreturnrealestate.com, you will see everything. I mean, you learn about Jack and my partnership and our processes and see our properties And there's a link to our podcast. Uh, We've got a really great podcast in the real estate investing space. And of course, for simplicity, that's called the High Return Real Estate Show.
0: Thank you for (laughs) keeping it simple. I mean, you're helping your SEO too. I don't think a lot of entrepreneurs realize that when they keep it simple, sometimes they make it a lot better.
1: Yeah, and you're right. There was definitely some digital marketing finesse in there with all that creation of that name.
0: Absolutely. I mean, I'm sort of surprised you even got the domain to be perfectly honest. I mean,
1: yeah. Well, wow. I was too, especially with a .com on the end. And when we were busy working around names and all that kind of stuff. And of course, I was trying 1000s of different combinations. And that one popped up. It's like, I bought it in immediately, and just said whatever it was the 18 or $20 to buy it. And then sent it to Jack the next day and go, what do you think? He's like, oh, yeah, you know, that's pretty damn good. It kind of says what we do. It's like, good, because I already bought it.
0: Yeah. Yeah, I didn't realize in, well, it's on the same topic, but sort of off topic. Sorry, deviating from you. But I didn't realize that if you search for a domain and you don't buy it, there's actually bots out there who will snatch it up just so they can up the price on you.
1: Oh, yeah. They look at all the searches. And oh, yeah, that's a whole nother business in itself.
0: Yeah. So I always tell my clients do not look at the domain until you are ready to purchase. Yeah. Don't just pop on GoDaddy right now because you're interested in if it's available, because if it is, you need to purchase it right now. So make sure your wallet is handy.
1: Yep. Yeah. Good advice.
0: Well, thank you so much for gifting us with your time today, Shecky. I have enjoyed every single second of it. And I know this is not our last conversation. So thank Thank you again. No, that's great.
1: I'm happy to come back. And it just, it's been great. I really appreciate you and what you're up to and the, the quality of your questions. It's been wonderful. Actually,
0: I'm, I'm also very curious if I can get you over to Troy, Ohio.
1: <laughs> What's going to happen there?
0: High return real estate might have to do some work in helping Kim Sutton get her uh, portfolio started.
1: Well, I'm happy to talk to you about that privately. Yeah, uh, we, no, unfortunately, I... like we don't have any teams there. So just so the listeners and you understand, to be clear, the reason that we are in Indy and doing what we're doing is a couple things. One is there's some incredible opportunity here and price to rent ratios here. And all of our teams and processes and, you know, relationships for our acquisitions are all here. Right, And it does not matter where you live. You could be in Troy, Ohio, you could be in Troy, Greece, it, it doesn't make any difference. But we've set up a system where an investor can live anywhere and take advantage of what we're doing here and everything all their activity and everything is all shown online so they have full transparency of everything that's going on and we take care of everything for them it's completely hands off and they just remain very very profitable
0: listeners that was a totally unintended but awesome segue (laughs) like yeah thank you for sharing that like i hadn't even thought to ask about that so thank you Do you have a golden nugget or a piece of parting advice that you can offer to listeners?
1: I do. And this is one that's been a long time in trying to have it ingrained into my own psyche. And that is this. Execution trumps ideas every time. So what I mean to say is I know that a lot of your listenership is people with a high entrepreneurial bent. And we all, as entrepreneurs, have all these great ideas, and I'm going to do this, and I'm going to do that. And the money and the success comes from execution. If I was a, a betting man, which I'm really not, but if I were a betting man, and you put two investors in front of me, and one has got this amazing idea, and is super sharp and super brilliant, And the other one's got an extremely average, almost below average idea, but is amazing at showing up every day and just executing and just keep plugging away. I would pick the guy with the crappy idea over the guy with the good idea every freaking time because that's always what wins.
0: Thank you for tuning in to this episode of the Positive Productivity Podcast.